Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, well, we uh, have had a series called Gift Exchange, and uh, obviously it's kind of a play on words because this is the time of year where we exchange gifts. And so um, what the, the, the thought of this series, though, is that there are gifts that we receive at Christmas that we want, and there are gifts that we don't want. And so some of the gifts that we don't want that tend to show up every year uh, how many people know Christmas can be hard for people, right? Like it can be super exciting and there are people out there that are just living on cloud nine. But then there's other people that, and myself included at times, that have found it hard. And so um, there are gifts we get that we are like, I don't really want that gift. But the good news that we're sharing is that we get to exchange the gifts we don't want for the gifts that Jesus has for us, that God has for us. And that's been the sense of this message uh, series is that you can have different gifts. Last week was bitterness for forgiveness. So the idea of giving up bitterness that sometimes this time of year can really kind of remind us of disappointments, remind us of wounds from the past, and we can give that up for forgiveness, God's forgiveness for us, and also forgive other people and get rid of that bitterness and that terrible kind of poison that infects us. So we've been looking at these different gifts. So today we want to look at loneliness for closeness. We want to look at how God wants to take the loneliness from our lives and he wants to cause us to come close and even know that we can be close. You know, I was thinking back, what was one of the lonelier periods of my life? And I know what it was. It's when I went to Bible school. I actually have some pictures from those years of when we went to Bible school. So there's my yearbook there from Portland Bible College. So back in 1984, I went down to Portland Bible College. I was dating Val at the time, and actually just right at the start of that. And so went down there to Portland, Oregon, and the thing was that Val and I, for about 16 months, we were apart. So she went to a Canadian Bible school in the fall of that year, and then went on to her secretarial college training, and I continued on each time going down to Portland Bible College. Now, it's a long way away from Lethbridge, where we lived. And the thing is, I couldn't come back, like, every second week or something. In fact, I think I came back once the whole two years. Uh, one Easter, I came back, or one spring break for one week. But other than that, I didn't come home. I stayed the whole time down there. And the other thing was, we didn't have the Internet. Some of the younger people are like, what? No Internet? Yeah, we didn't. We didn't have Internet. Uh, we had the phone, and that was it. Or snail mail, right? So I could write a letter, which I did, and sometimes I even like did a cassette, and I'd record something, and so old school, right? Put it into an envelope and send the cassette, and then Val would get the cassette. And some of you are going, what's a cassette? Anyway, and then listen to that, and then it would be like, wow, amazing. And so modern tech. And so I'd do that, or I'd call, and I'd burn up the phone lines every couple weeks, like every two weeks. Not even every day. 15 minutes. Say a lot in 15 minutes. So you're just getting it. Like, again, if you're part of the new generation, like, you could do video chats free, right? Like, seriously. You don't even know. Texting. Didn't have that. Like, again, so all I'm painting a picture. So the reality was I was away from Val and my church for long periods of time. 
And I was going to a school in the U.S., which is fine. We're very similar culturally, but we're also different. And the reality is sometimes I felt like a bit of a square peg in a round hole, I'll be honest. So it was very different. So I had that going on. I was studying. Uh, my family's all at home. My girlfriend's far away. And you know what? It was a lonely time at moments for me. There was things that I just had to deal with on my own. But here's the good news. So it was difficult at times. Here's the good news. It caused me to push into my relationship with God. I remember I had this little room, little classroom in the classroom building, and I don't know what it was used for. Um, it had a little chalkboard, and probably you could have 10 people in there. But I would go there just about every day. It was my prayer room. And I would go there in the afternoons, and I would spend, after I was done working in the kitchen where I worked, and I would go and I would pray, and I would read the Bible, and I would sing, and I would journal, and I did all that. did it every day. And I did it because I needed to. I mean, I, I did it because I wanted to, and, and it's a good practice, but I did it more than anything because I needed to, because I needed God. I needed my relationship with him, and I needed to be close. And here's the good news. As I pressed into that, being far from home, God met me all the time. Some of my best moments that I remember were in those days meeting God. Why? Because I was hungry for him, because I needed him, and I sought him. You know what the Bible says? If we seek him, he'll be found by us. If you draw close, he'll draw close to us, right? And so I took my loneliness, I took my isolation, and instead of, you know, I could have just felt really lonely and just said this is the way it is, instead I pushed into God. And I found him and I had pages of journaling of God speaking to me. You hear what I'm saying? So today I want to talk about that. How life can be lonely for various reasons, but God is there for us. You know, um, a study by Dr. Richard Swartz, he's a Cambridge psychologist, talks about how loneliness is a problem in the U.S. and in Canada. And he did like four decades of study. So 40 years he studied. And here's what he found out. Loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, progression of Alzheimer's. One study found out that it's, a long, it's as much a long-term factor as smoking. Interesting, eh? So I can imagine if you smoked on your own, it's even worse. Think about it. Smoking on your own would be even worse. Double. In 2015, um, they took data from 3.5 million people over 35 years, and they found out that in the categories of loneliness and isolation, people that lived in that all the time, their risk of premature death rose 30, 26 to 32%. Interesting. Just being isolated, just being on their own, made it, them more chance of risk of these diseases. So loneliness is big. Loneliness is a problem, right? We're not meant to, to have that. The, the problem for many is that actually in our culture, to say you're depressed has become less of a stigma. It's true, right? Like, you know, we have every year there's, what is it, the Bell Let's Talk Day, and there's other things like that where it's like, let's talk about depression. Let's talk about this problem. Let's get in the open. Let's take away the stigma. And I think that's working, and that's good. But here's the problem. For some people and for many, to admit you're lonely is actually worse than saying you're depressed. I feel lonely. It, it's almost like you, you might feel like you're a loser because you feel lonely. And you shouldn't, right? If we, we all feel lonely. We all have moments for various reasons that we feel lonely. And yet sometimes there's a stigma around feeling lonely. And, and so you feel like you're the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria with no one around you. Speaking of sitting alone in the cafeteria, there's also a Gallup report that of Americans who ate dinner last night, probably about 22% ate on their own. 
just with no one else, right? So there's, there's a lot out there of loneliness, just, just part of life. And so here, here's the reality, though, about how God views loneliness. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the Genesis account of creating the world, God said everything was good, right? You, every day. And it was good. And God created, you know, the, the heavens, the earth. He created the sky. He created the animals. He created man. It was good. There's only one thing that God said was not good. And here's what it is. Genesis 2.18. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So he created Adam. And then he realized, hmm, Adam shouldn't be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. He, here's the good news for you and I. God understands that it's not good for you to be alone. He understands that everything I just shared, all those bad things that can happen to people who are alone, who are lonely, that that's not good. And he doesn't want you to be lonely. And so the good news today is he's made a way for you not to be lonely. We're going to look at that. We're going to consider how that really works and how this time of year should actually encourage us about that. You know, Mother Teresa once said that the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, of being deserted and alone. Would you agree with me on that? Probably the biggest problem, right? More than sickness and disease, there are so many people right now, even at this time of year, right this moment, who feel that way. We need to pray for them. And honestly, we need to look for ways that we can be a blessing to those that feel alone and be, be looking beyond ourselves. So here's the thing about loneliness, though. Sometimes loneliness isn't just based on proximity to people. You ever found this out? You ever been in a crowd and there's lots of people around you and you shouldn't be lonely, but you feel lonely? Anybody ever felt that way like me? And there's reasons why you would feel lonely even in a crowd. And so, uh, you know, I've been around long enough to realize, talking to people, that there are many married people who who have a spouse, who are aching for intimacy, who still feel lonely, even in their marriage, right? I, I, there, there, there are kids out there who want real friendships with other children, their parents. There's teenagers who are feeling isolated. Um, there's older people who are feeling, are struggling because they're trapped a bit in their homes more and they feel isolated, right? There's, there's all of these issues. And God says, even in spite of being married, even in spite of having friendships and relationships, you can still feel lonely. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of a story here, a guy named Glenn Wolf. I don't know if anybody would remember Glenn Wolf, but I'll tell you about him. He died alone. He died alone, and he was in Los Angeles, and he was buried in an unmarked grave. And I know it's really sad. That happens in places like Los Angeles. But here's the thing about him, and I think we have a picture of him right here. Here's the thing about Glenn. He is... In the Guinness Book of World Records as the most married person ever. He was married 29 times. Yeah, and those aren't the wives. That's representative of the wives. Now, I'm just going to say a disclaimer. Don't try this at home, okay? This is, we are not promoting this lifestyle, okay, 29 times. But here's the thing with Glenn. Glenn was married 29 times in his lifetime. Some of them were very short, apparently. I was reading about it. It was like 17 days. So maybe Glenn wasn't a very nice guy. That might have been the problem. But anyway, so here's the thing, though. He has all those relationships, but he dies alone and an unmarked grave. Isn't that terrible? Think about that. 29 marriages, and you're still alone, and you didn't get it right? I mean, that, that's an awful picture, right? Um, 
Why do I tell you that bizarre detail? Because it shows that if we look to try to find a solution to our loneliness in anything else other than what God is going to provide us, it really doesn't work. Even Glenn, in his lifetime pursuit of love and relationship, 29 relationships, and ended up alone. So the reality is there are many ways we can try to deal with the issue of loneliness in our lives. But God says, I want, I want to help you with that. So God is so passionate about loneliness that he actually focuses this Christmas season around it. If we look at the essence of what Jesus has done for us, we realize that the solution he provides is amazing for all of us. Let's look back here for a moment at right back to the book of Isaiah where Jesus coming as Emmanuel, you realize that one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us, Emmanuel. So back in Isaiah 7, here's where it was first talked about. And Isaiah speaks about this, obviously, back here. It says, read it with me here on the screen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now, it's interesting. We, we look at this and obviously we apply this to Jesus coming and we'll talk about that in a minute. But actually this sign was a real sign given at the moment. This, this sign was actually given <clears throat> to King Ahaz and it was about an unmarried young woman within the royal house uh, would marry shortly and conceive, and her son would be called Emmanuel. So this is actually an event in, the, in that day and that time. And so Isaiah prophesies to King Ahaz. Now what was happening is King Ahaz at the time was looking to the nation of Assyria for help. And um, he, wanted, he wanted help from another nation rather than from God. And so what, what God was saying to him through this prophecy was, uh, before this child that's going to be born is old enough to eat solid food, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to defeat you and the nation of Aram. Aram. That's what he was saying. Which happened, not even two years later, Israel was ransacked by Assyria. Sometimes we don't realize this is actually a prophecy for the day and the time. And it was given to the king. There will be a child born, and when the child is born, he won't even eat solid food, and the Assyrians are going to come, which they did. But... So, so this was prophesied regarding that time. But the good news is this was also given to David's people, to the, 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 the descendants of David. This was given to the Jews. And so we see years later, right, this is happening in the time where Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Jesus is the one who comes. And look what it says about Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this Emmanuel, who's talked about regarding this Assyrian time, is actually also an Emmanuel 
that Jesus is the one who's God with us, who is coming. And here's, here he's described later in Isaiah 9 as the one who will come. He will be the counselor. Look, if you ever want to be encouraged by what this baby Jesus who grew up to be a man and died on the cross for our sins represents, read this and consider what this says. Wonderful counselor, the one who helps you, the one who speaks to you, the one who wants to be there to guide you in your life, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God who's able to change our lives. And if you've given your life to Christ and you've committed yourself to him, you know the changes that he's worked in your life. The everlasting father. Isn't it good to know that that God is our father, that he loves us like a father? And that's what Jesus came to represent to us. And the prince of peace. You know, in the prayer room today, we were praying. We were praying for peace. And it's interesting that peace is one of those catchphrases we talk about at Christmas. And yet, Really, a lot of people need peace at Christmas. Would you agree? Christmas actually stirs things up and there's a lack of peace. See, but if we understand what happened and what we celebrate at Christmas is actually the Prince of Peace. He was meant to bring peace into our own lives. He was meant to give us peace with God. And so Isaiah said, there's going to come a day where this Emmanuel is going to come. He's going to come into Galilee and he's going to be this Savior who will change everything. So Isaiah talked about him. And then Matthew talks about him. So we fast forward now to the time of Matthew, to the time when Jesus comes. And he talks about God being with us. And look what it says in John 1, 11 and 14. He says, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus comes and he's born and he is God. You know, you think about it, I was just having a debate. Um, it's interesting. I was just went to Winnipeg on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. There was a funeral of a LifeLinks pastor who'd been a pastor for many, many years. And he just died suddenly. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I, I went to Winnipeg for the funeral because it would be important for me to be there. And on the plane, this is so cool, in row 23... There were two other people on that, in that row. We had the best God chat the whole way. Uh, one, <laughs> they were pistols. I mean, they were, they were really into uh, thinking about life and religion. Um, they were both agnostics, so they, they didn't know if there is a God, but they think there's something. And we talked the whole way, and I used stuff from my worldview course. Hey, there's a worldview course going on, right? And there's for a reason. So I actually was aware of some things. And it's interesting how the very things we talk about in our biblical worldview course is always what people say. So it helps. We had this great chat. And by the end, we took a selfie of each other. And then the lady in front of us said, I really enjoyed that discussion because, of course, she's listening the whole time. So, but, but, um, but my point is that, I don't know what my point is. I lost my point. Okay, well... My point is that Jesus came so that we could know him, so that we could be clear on who he was. And that, that was a big thing we talked about. And there's my point, is we talked about the difference between every religion and Christianity. We talked about how, because they were, you know, one of the, the things that people say is that they all lead the same direction. They all go to the same location. Well, how can they be totally different beliefs and do that? Like, it makes no sense. So we, we talked about that. And I said, I said to them, I said, well, let me just explain to you what I think the key difference is. 
And I think for all of us, this is something we should remember. Every religion in the world except Christianity is about mankind becoming better and better and better and improving and improving and trying to get to a higher level of consciousness or goodness or whatever, right? I'm going to try to achieve more. I'm going to try to get to a better level. And gradually I will, you know, get to a high level and hopefully I'll please God and hopefully, right? Christianity is totally opposite. It's the only one that's really totally opposite. Christianity says, man can't get to God on his own. He is flawed, he's sinful, he's disobeyed God's laws, and he has no ability to improve himself and to become like God. So instead of man getting better and better and better, God chose to become a man and come down and save mankind, right? Become us and walk with us and understand who we are and then sinless, perfect, dies on the cross, pays the price for our sins. So Christianity and every religion in the world are totally opposite. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I shared that with them. And I would encourage you to use that because that's really simplistic, but it's really true. And so Christmas time, when we celebrate Jesus coming, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're talking about that. God coming down and being with us, being one of us, understanding who we are, not being exclusive, but actually living among us. John 16, 32 is, is, says this. A time is coming and in fact will come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. He's talking about his disciples. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Now, it's interesting to think about Jesus. Jesus was, I would use the word forerunner, okay? He went ahead of us. You know, John the Baptist went ahead of Jesus, prepared the way for Jesus to come. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He um, died on the cross for our sins. He entered into heaven so we could enter into heaven. He went ahead of us. He prepared the way for us. And one of the ways he prepared the way for us, let me, let me just say this, is in the area of loneliness. You know, as I was pondering that this week, I thought Jesus actually, actually was alone often. He, he experienced everyone abandoning him. He experienced all his disciples fleeing because they were afraid of their own lives. He experienced being misunderstood. He experienced all those things. And yet, he continued to go to his father. He continued to serve us by doing that. He says this with his disciples. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that he'll never leave us. So he experienced loneliness for us. And I like what it says in Luke 5. I was pondering this as well. Look what it says. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I was thinking about that. Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now we could just say, well, that's an isolated place so he could be on his own. That's true. But I was thinking about something. Jesus was prepared to go to the lonely places and pray for those people he was going to minister to and pray for those the, the, the next day's work and, and pray so that People who were lonely wouldn't be lonely anymore. He was prepared to be lonely. He was prepared to be separate. He was prepared to pay a price so they wouldn't be lonely. Do you see what I'm saying? So Jesus, Jesus understands loneliness. Jesus gets it. And he was prepared to pave the way for you and I so we wouldn't have to be lonely. There's an odd sound here. Do you hear that odd sound? It sounds like I'm doing something up here, but I'm not. Sorry. <laughs> you know. 
Anyway, I like what Johnny Erickson Tata says. I have a picture of her as well. Johnny Erickson, there, there was a, a movie that Billy Graham did about her, and she, she actually, she dove off a dock, and she broke her neck, and she's a, a, a paraplegic, right? I think it's paraplegic. So she, is it a quadriplegic? Okay. Okay. Yeah, she can't move her arms either. That's right. She's quadriplegic. So she said this. She said, you don't have to be alone in your hurt. Comfort is yours. Joy is an option. And it's all been made possible by your Savior. He went without comfort so you might have it. He postponed joy so you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so you might never be alone in your hurt and sorrow. Now here's Johnny Erickson who knows isolation, who knows the struggle of dealing with this. And yet she's saying, I choose to receive him. I choose to receive what he's done for me, which is just a powerful, powerful statement. So God says, look, I come to you. Isaiah speaks about Emmanuel. Matthew speaks about Emmanuel. And look, I want to I look here at how you and I can speak of him, how you and I can take advantage of what he's done for us and today see a change. I like what Psalm 68 says because here's the exciting news about what Jesus did. When he came and he lived among us and then died on the cross for our sins, he didn't just provide a way for you and I to have him with us through our direct relationship with him. He actually provided a way for us to be part of his family. And I don't know about you, but I think that's one of the greatest gifts of being a believer is being part of this worldwide family of Christians. You know, I've been around the world now to different places, and I see Christians everywhere I go, right? There's always believers there. There's always people I've never met, and they're part of a different culture. But when I meet them, we have one thing in common, and it's that we're all child, children of the king. We have the common father, and, and, and we have an affinity immediately for each other. And so when, when it's God with us, it's not only that God says, I want to provide you with a family. I want to provide you uh, with relationship with me. It's, I also put you into families. I like what Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. I remember my dad died when I was 12. And of course, my mom was a widow at that time. And I didn't have a father. This meant a lot to me. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. It shows God's character. And here's what it says in verse 6. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. He sets the lonely in families. And I, I love this part of it. Because God looks down, and I, I, I think that relates to relationships he gives us just with people around us, but I think it also certainly relates to a church family, right? That he puts us in with a group of people, connects us with them so that we can walk together. Now, let me just say that's imperfect. Sometimes that works better than other times. Sometimes that's, that, that's more vibrant than maybe at other times. But the intention that God has is that we would be in each other's lives, that we'd love each other, we'd care for each other. And in that sense, we would be God with us right? He's with us, but he's with us because of his people. He's with us because we're part of community. That is a vibrant part of who he is. You know, I, I, I mentioned Ed Hildebrand. I have a picture of him here. Um, yeah, this is Ed. This was, this was, Ed was an um, amazing guy. He, 
he went to Africa every year. He had a huge ministry in Uganda. Every year he would go for, for many years. And he had a church in Lorette, Manitoba, that he led for many years. Started it in 2003. Some of you remember Tim Plett. Tim Plett, who was with our church in the early days. Tim started it with Ed. That's where Tim came from. In fact, Tim led the service. Led the, opened up the service that I was at. So Tim Plett and Ed were close friends. And so uh, they, they did that. And, and also, uh, Ed was just a, uh, an athlete. Like everything. Basketball, baseball, and then golf. In his latter days, I think, you know, he's known his 70s, and so golf was a big deal to Ed. Just a really, really awesome guy, heart of gold. I listened to his children talk about him, and I listened to all his friends, and I just realized this guy was a great guy. He just was the genuine article. So here's what happens with Ed, and there's a reason I'm telling you this story, and I won't forget the reason, just so you know. I've got it clearly in mind, okay? You're going, man, I think he's been lonely too much. Something's going on with his brain. Anyway, so, so what happened with Ed is he was on a holiday with his wife in Florida. And they flew back to Minneapolis. And then from Minneapolis, they were supposed to go to Winnipeg. And so they landed in Minneapolis. He got off the plane and he went to the washroom, which is always often the way you feel after being on the plane. So he gets into the washroom and his wife, um, you know, is waiting outside. And all of a sudden, it just gets longer and longer. And she's like, where's that? So she asked me, she says, would you go in there? And uh, a gentleman, could you just, uh, my, my husband, Ed, could you call out to him? Could you? And so the guy can see that he's in a stall and calls out. And there's no response, right? So he comes out and says, there's no response. And I'm getting no response. So she, she calls out and says, hey, I have an emergency here. Somebody help me. And so they ran in. They got over the top. And they got Ed out. And they started working on him, CPR. But he was already dead. And he had, um, apparently, what happens with these situations, not to get in too deep, but if someone has a blocked artery, and especially the one in front, it's called the widow maker. There's one artery in your heart you don't want to plug. If it does plug, you will be gone instantly. And that's what he had. And so because he was flying, the oxygen level was lower. When he landed and got on the ground, so his heart was working harder. He landed, and then, of course, he gets more oxygen, and it precipitated a heart attack, and he died which is a sad story, so I'm not trying to depress you. But here's the thing that Jessie said that really touched my heart. So Jessie's there on her own. Think about it. And her husband has just died. And she's called out, help me, and they're helping him. And here's the thing that's so exciting about being a believer and about Christians. She had three believers in a row that came to her and said, can I pray for you? Can I support you? And they prayed for her and they stood with her. They didn't know her at all. Here's Jesse in the middle of Minneapolis airport. And here's God with us, right? God with us through these people, his church. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know what? Christians are flawed. Christians will let you down. There are a lot of people out there, but let me just say this. Don't ever, ever discount the church and believers and the value. For God, it's family, and he's got them all over the world. Isn't that a powerful story? I mean, it really affected me because she shared that. She said, those people made all the difference, and she waited, and her son had to fly down from Winnipeg to meet her, but she was on her own, but she wasn't on her own. She had the indwelling God who was with her, and she had his people around her reaching out and loving her 
You know, that should stir all of us, right? Stir all of us. Look, you are, you are the representative of God with us. He's with you. And just look for, just look for moments to just, to just be that person, right? That says, look, I represent Jesus. Can I pray for you right now? Can I love you right now? Can I, can I encourage you right now? Just look for it. And even when we're in our deficiencies, because we all have them, we all are in deficient moments where we're like, God, I need some input. I need something to happen to me. And God says, yes, out of your need, I will meet you. But always keep your eyes open and see, because I want to bless you and use you to minister to other people. Right? God with us. Let's be God with those around us and be those people. Just like those people were to Jesse.